Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Spark Up Podcast. My name is Alan, and in this exciting conversation, we talk about mathematics and coding with Yop, and we try to paint a picture of the future. Is it is it rosy? Is it automated and we're all going to be useless? We get into that, both what we do professionally as parents, but also what our kids are seeing and what they're sort of teaching us about this topic. So before we get to the guest, just a couple of quick hygiene notes. As always, in the show notes below this episode, uh, you can dive in deeper into the related content that Tiop has provided. And also, for the first time ever, I'm going to sort of make a request you hear a lot, but it will help. Please, if you can follow us on social media or on the podcast platform, it would really, really help uh, make more things possible. And if you haven't already, sign up for email notifications so that you can get Spark up to your inbox. We only send you the good stuff. It's free and your data will never be sold. With that out of the way, please relax and enjoy this conversation with Yop on math and coding. So Yop, welcome to the Spark Hub podcast. Always appreciate your time. And as is our tradition, I'd love to just open up with a quote. I think we're going to talk about math and coding today. Uh, so what is it? Is a quote that inspires you? Uh, it's an interesting one because I thought long and hard uh, to come up with a quote in the math and coding uh, arena. But it, there's so many super serious ones. Uh, but I wanted to uh, bring a not so serious one to the to the podcast. Um, you may recognize it. The quote is two plus two is four minus one. That's three quick maths. <laughs> oh, that's a you good one. Got, and, and, and who said that? Who, who do we attribute that to? It's the, um, it's the sort of the artist alter ego uh, called Big Shack from the song Man's Not Hot. You may recognize it. <laughs> you got to be down with the kids. Uh, no, it's, um, it's a bit of a, a, a funny song. Um, but I wanted to bring this quote in because I think math, maths uh, should not be seen as the big mystery that no one understands. It's, it's, I think too often on TV, for example, maths is served off as the thing that the nerd does and it's okay to not understand it. We should all have a little bit more fun with maths. <laughs> and I think this, this encapsulates it because it's, it's all around us constantly. Totally. And, and, and I'm going to actually use the word math in a different form, which is polymath. And I believe you are a polymath. You are a person who has multiple skills. You're a parent. You're a coder. You, ha- you, you, you uh, teach as well. So I think maybe for the listeners, if you could just take a couple minutes to talk about who you are, where you've come from, what you do. And then I have a very loaded question to ask you once we, we know that. Well, my name is Job Pilens. As you uh can probably tell uh, English is not my native language. I'm uh, from the Netherlands, 42 years old. I started with a year of structural engineering at university uh, once I was finished with high school and then uh, decided to um, go to a art school after that, where everybody said, well, you're crazy because engineering is the way to go. But I thought, well, there's more to life than just uh, math and, and physics and things. I wanted to mix it up a little. Uh, and that's what I did. So I did uh, spend four years uh, basically learning to ask uh, difficult questions. And then um, I've been working in uh, the creative agency world since then. Worked with a couple of other people that were on the podcast, like Dino, Morris, uh, Eugene. I moved back to the Netherlands from London about 10, 12 years ago and have been um, a teacher at a university part-time and the other time I spent uh, working for uh, clients as the specialist 
who makes all the, the funky, cool websites. So I don't do the, the general WordPress site. I do the sites you go like, wow, that's cool. I want to send it on to some friends. That's that's the stuff I specialize in. Oh, very interesting. And so you create virality as another way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, um, I do also spend some time outside the office uh, where I love like open water swimming, uh, karate, uh, cycling, of course, because I'm Dutch and uh, a bit of running. <laughs> And you have children as well that take up some of your time. Yeah, I've got a six-year-old girl uh, and a eleven-year-old uh, who started like the big uh, high school this year. So it's all very exciting stuff. Oh, mine's ten, and he's starting soon. So we've got all that anxiety. So very yep. fascinating background. As I say, I did I did use the the word polymath correctly because it seems you have tentacles and lots of different interests, and and you you decided to explore obviously a mathematical side, but also a Creative side, and I want to I want to paint you a, a quick picture because the the idea with SparkUp is I try to imagine what the future is like, even though none of us can do that, and even though there's no parenting manual, I try to at least project forward and say, all right, what's a situation my kids going to face in the future, and what are the sparks we can lay down now to sort of find the opportunities for them to learn. So that's kind of the principle of of, of SparkUp, and one of the things that scared me recently which is related to our topic, a friend of mine who's about my age, I'm also in my mid-40s, texted me and said, you'll never believe I work. He's a manager at a, at a corporation. He said, AI is taking over. Uh, our president has now introduced artificial intelligence to write all our emails, to run all our communications, to do all our billing, to do all kinds of stuff. And it's scary. No one's writing anything anymore. And a lot of that's driven by remote working and they, they do hybrid working. So I look at this, I, I look at what he's saying, and he's panicked. He doesn't have children himself, but he's like, what is this? The workforce is being automated now. What am I going to do? What, you know, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my future. And so I go, that's happening now. So what does it look like in the future for my child when they enter the workforce? Uh, hope One of my children is very gifted in math. One is very gifted in creativity. We're trying to cross-pollinate them a little bit. But I, I pose that question to you as a parent, as an adult, as someone who thinks about the future. What can math and coding do to make sure that, that we stay relevant, I suppose? Wow, that's that's an opener question. <laughs> I told you I was going to um, give you a loaded question, but but I, I don't know if these things worry you as well. But I just wanted to start with a very pro provocative question and then look for the sparks mm -hmm. and the ways that we can find the opportunity in the situation. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on all these developments as well. Um, and I think uh, part of it is super interesting. Um, I've been using the um, Jet GPT that everybody's talking about as a, um, it's more of a, a constantly available co-worker to just talk, talk with, bounce ideas off, uh, and then take the input and carry on uh, on my own path. But I do see a lot of stuff getting replaced with um, AI. And I think some some is fine uh, like automation people shouldn't be doing the same monotonous tasks constantly during the day computers and stuff are great for that um but i think being properly creative and and connecting the dots as far as i can see right now is still something you need humans with to come up with with new ideas that said uh we're talking about maths and coding um i think those subjects are super relevant um, and will remain relevant because uh, who else is going to continue developing the AI, right? Well, hopefully the AI won't develop the AI. That's, I guess that's the uh, 
you know, the, the key to success from what I'm understanding when I look at this, you can go very easily to an apocalyptic scenario and you can go very easily to, well, it's, as you say, it's an assistant and an amplifier. And by the way, some of the names you dropped earlier, like Morris, Dino, Eugene, I pose them a similar question. They seem to be very enthused by AI and what it can do because it can actually release people to be more creative. But just referring back to my friend who said he's in the workplace and he's worried about his job. I don't, he doesn't strike me as a very creative person. But I worry, I guess, coming back to what is school training people for? You know, if our kids are going to school every day, your kid's about to go to high school, there's still a lot of curriculum that's maybe not relevant or maybe may not be relevant in a few years from now. And I'll give you an example. My son came up to me the other day and bearing in mind he's 10, he's very technically enabled. But like you, he has interests outside in the real world and he does like to use the real world and he does shun VR at the moment. But he said, he said to me, that actually he never wants to learn to do handwriting because he never has to. He uses Siri, he uses Alexa. He just commands tech in our house to do things. And it does, it turns his light on in his bedroom. It um, sets reminders for him and all this kind of stuff. And part of me is going, well, that's just the way they're growing up. And that's just what's you know common around them. And they're gonna get used to it and they'll amplify it and they'll find other things to do. Doesn't like reading, likes to watch YouTube, but obviously he watches the good stuff, not the bad stuff. So I guess where I'm going with this is as a parent, I think mathematics and coding are big. And I think that if, if and creativity is big, I just wonder how you're looking at things like school and saying, fine, school's going to be school, but I'm a parent. And outside of the classroom, I need to teach my kids these skills or at least spark their interest in them. And what do you do within your own household to sort of future proof or, or, or get your kids to sort of get interested in the stuff you're interested in now so that one day it will pay dividends, even if AI is going to take everything over? What are you sort of seeing as the as the way forward for them to enjoy lives and, and be productive adults? An important uh, thing is that you need to uh, connect what they learn to their lives. Because um, it's a bit weird to learn maths that you and then you don't know what you do it for, or you learn uh, something else at school. I think I liked math in high school because I was good at it. I didn't know why I was learning it, um, and then. Uh, I went to do structural engineering and then the math was taken to another level with calculus, like fourth and fifth dimension things. And I just couldn't comprehend it. So I kind of disconnected there. Uh, but now that I use math in a very practical way, uh, like making games and interactivity, I, I see why, why it makes sense to learn. And that's what I always do because my, my oldest daughter is learning math now as well. And I, I really have to contain my enthusiasm every time I open one of her books to help her out because it's it's I love it because it's basically constantly solving puzzles and what I do uh when when we're out and about um I always try to mix in the math or physics into conversations just to point out things around us or uh make them understand that uh life becomes so much easier when you know a couple of cool math tricks so I think it's all about connecting it to their world and like you said with the um the texting uh, that they don't actually type um i never i mean i've been using iphone since the 3g one uh ages ago i never dictated the text message even though that was an option forever and my uh 11 year old has a phone now only for a couple of months and that's all she does like <laughs> it just never occurred to me and i love i love seeing with kids how they start using technology in a different way
I saw this fascinating video uh, the other week where you may recall this because we grew up with it. You remember three and a quarter floppy disks? Uh, oh, yeah. three, three and a half inch floppy disk. So remember you had to boot a computer up with a physical disk and on it, it had like a little slider, a little metal slider. And they're handing all this stuff to kids and they don't know what it is. They know, one of them goes, that's yeah. the save icon. I see the save icon. And the other one's pulling it back and forth going, is this a camera? Um, so, so to your point, how the technology is used is completely different. So they, my children barely type now. The first thing they learned how to use was that thing where you just move your finger very quickly over the keyboard and, it's, and, and it snaps together the sentence. Uh, or the other mm -hmm. ways you say is to speak into it. So it brings me back to another observation around bringing language and coding together. So to, to, to your point, you up earlier about ha having an interest in math, which is very logical and structural and rational, and then having the completely opposite view, which is the creative and chaotic version. I was listening to an interview with someone who said, actually, language is the big thing, whether it's written or spoken, because everything now is a keyword. Everything now is a tag, right? So that's how we aggregate information now. And on social media, people use hashtags. It pulls groups together conversations. On search, you use keywords. But imagine, and, and you might know more about this than I, but if you think about semantic search, so rather than just going on Google and putting in one or two words, you put in a full sentence. And this is where um, chat APIs come in to say, they'll take full block sentences, scrape the whole internet for information and come back with AI-derived art, AI-derived poetry, AI-derived stuff. So it sort of lifts the human out of the drudgery of it and potentially the creative process that, you know, over time, but it could also have the opposite effect, which is to amplify what we're able to do. And so it comes back to language. I'm glad you're teaching your kids games. I'm glad you're teaching your kids puzzles. We're trying to do the same here. Um, but I think language and structure and syntax and taxonomy and all of that stuff's going to come from spoken language. And it may be like if I read a book from the biblical times or from Shakespearean times, I, I don't understand because it it's written in such a way that was relevant at the time. And I just wonder if, you know, as parents, we're going to have to adapt our vocabulary. We're going to have to think slightly differently because these kids are coming up where everything's a keyword or a tag and it has a bigger meaning and when you put it into a technical world so i'd love you to riff a little bit on that as if you've had to adapt your language if, if you feel that you've had to uh think of things slightly differently um given that writing that, might might disappear completely it's funny that you uh that you bring this up because i was talking to a friend of mine uh last week that um i was asking him him like how do you how do you communicate with the chat gpt uh and we both realized that we're being very polite with the with the with the requests for information, I, because um, that's a possibility. Like in Google, uh, for example, because we we all sort of started in the mid two thousands learning uh, the search engines, and it was always like an AOL keyword, or it was always very precise, and you had the AND and OR operators and all of that. Uh, so that's how you search. And uh, but this this new way of basically asking questions as if it's a normal person, I thought was very refreshing. And it, it turns out like everybody's super polite with like, could you possibly uh, suggest 10 medium hard questions for my students about the topic of AI or something like that? That's something you would never put in Google, but you're using that on uh, JetGPT, which I thought was interesting. And especially seeing the kids grow up now, they because they have access to much higher quality um, like applications, apps, um, or search engines, for example. It's funny to see that they're being 
using much more normal language. At least that's what I see, because you, you mentioned uh, that everything was a hashtag, but I see them using much more normal language with technology, uh, which I thought was interesting. Well, I just meant more as a convention, because I'm not saying everyone speaks in hashtags now. It's just, and by the way, there's this whole other rabbit hole around kids not using social media now, because it seems... I've, I've said this a few times and apologies to the, the regular listener, but I always say that the vice of the parents never goes on to the kids. So when we were growing up, drink, driving and smoking was the vice because the generation before us did it heavily. We didn't grow up thinking that getting plastered all the time was a great idea or smoking was a great idea. And now I think even my own son has come up saying, look how badly Instagram affects people. And, uh, you know, it's a fake world. And so they seem to be aware of the dangers of the drugs. That, that our generation had, yeah, which, which is fascinating. That, that, is something that, that is something that makes me really happy um, to see that they're actually thinking about the things that we didn't think about when we all joined Facebook and all of that, because it was just a fun way to communicate. Um, I ditched, like completely shut down Facebook uh, a couple of years ago, haven't missed it. So that was a good move. And now uh, Twitter is in a bit of a weird spot. Uh, but it's still sort of trying to figure out what the new pub is that everybody's going to. Well, it seems it seems to be decentralized just on that topic. I mean, my my personal view is within my own networks, I've created micro networks, groups of friends that I know from different periods in my life, high school friends, don't, our old colleagues. We have a group there of our old colleagues that we all can chat into. Uh, so I think that, you know, there's those emotional times that we use technology to stay in touch with. And I think the kids these days are doing that. They're doing micro networks. Uh, they're very aware of bullying. They're very aware of empathy. They're very mm -hmm. aware of bluntness. The thing that I found interesting is, and this is specific to Twitter, is when we were growing up without technology, uh, you could read people's body language because you were with them. So I could tell if you were happy, sad, if you're about to punch me. Uh, but all of that gets stripped away the minute you go onto Twitter. And so a, seeming, a, a sarcastic joke can come off as an insult uh, to someone. And if you're constantly exposed to that and you think everyone's attacking you because you're streaming through feeds, then your fight or flight instinct kicks in and you can be overwhelmed. And I thought that was fascinating that a lot of kids today now know the difference and almost have their own conventions for face-to-face -face discussion versus screen discussion. They, they already know what to mix and what not to mix, which I think is fascinating. Um, and that's an mm -hmm. observation I've had. So circling back to I guess another question for you as a professional is that as you're creating products yourself, you know, websites or things that go viral, what are you learning from your kids that is going to pay dividends for you in your profession? So what is the type of stuff that you're looking at them going, actually, they don't look at websites anymore. They use this type of technology or, or an app, or I need to now take the thing that I built two years ago. And if I'm going to rebuild it, I'm going to do it on a different platform or use different AI is, are you thinking like that as you watch your kids grow up and, and sort of the way they use technology? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, uh, especially from a couple of years ago where um, a friend of mine and I decided to build uh, apps for kids to teach math, uh, for example, and another fun one where they can create monster ice creams is that kids are brutally honest. If it's not, if it's not really cool or makes them laugh, uh, they just close the app. <laughs> that's it um, that's what I find uh, very interesting and also looking at kids interact with your product or your website is super valuable because they, they do behave differently to adults because they basically they grow up with just touch screens making the move to a, a keyboard and mouse uh, is quite a big one and then there you, you also see a big difference between kids who play games on computers and kids who don't 
which I find a massive difference, especially when, when you look at the um, uh, school here where sort of between the six and 12 year olds and you see uh, mostly boys um, play computer games and they're super handy with the keyboard and everything. And then you have the kids who don't do that and they, they still have to learn how to use the mouse and the keyboard and things in, in, a, in a normal way. That's why it's super uh, important when you make websites and, and interactive things for kids these days that they that you actually see them interact with it to optimize the experience for everyone. Interesting. I mean, I had a guest a few podcasts ago who a little bit like, I suppose, like Steve Jobs, who famously banned his kids from iPads. He's got four daughters and he doesn't allow them hardly any technology time. And he works in technology as like you do and like I do. And he, he feels that he wants to give them childhood tech-free first, knowing full well the tech will be there when they grow up and they can interface with it and whatever. And so they're more obviously analog. They do a lot more creativity games, paper and pencil type exercises. And again, there's no right or wrong. I'm not saying one's right or right, one's wrong. But just recently, a report came out, I think in the Washington Post, that said even YouTube should be 13, uh, 13 plus. Now, clearly in our house, that's not going to work because even at seven and 10, we, we're big YouTubers, but it's about the quality, not the quantity. And we do, we are very liberal with our kids on YouTube, but within reason. Other parents uh, have parental controls that we know don't work <laughs> or that, that people, frankly, can get around or hack around. So I think the reason I bring this up is there's no right or, right, right or wrong way. There's analog, there's digital. And some parents are going to let their kids have free reign of it. Some are going to limit it. But I do feel that especially during the COVID times, there were a lot of kids that just went pure digital for a year and a half to two years. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know what your experiences was, but I'd love to hear what your household was like during the pandemic. What, how did you guys try to balance that, that conundrum that faces all of us? I guess my point, Yop, is they were crucial learning years because if yeah. yours are six and 11, mine are 10 and seven, especially the younger one, it's crucial kinetic years where they're engaged, you know, they're looking at people, they're, 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 they're gaining uh, mm. uh, kinetic skills, they're gaining body language skills, they're gaining, you know, communication skills. And so I'm just curious what it was like in your household, how you tried to strike the balance between tech and human and, and, and explaining to kids that they couldn't go to school if that happened where you were. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, in, in early 2020, when, when it all um, kicked off, then I think we were, they were not going to school for a couple of months. And uh, the oldest one had some uh, team sessions uh, with, with class, but then also we did a lot of homework with her together. And then the youngest was still, uh, well, too young to actually uh, go to proper school. So yeah, uh, she did watch a lot of Netflix because um, that was just the way it is. Um, and But we also did a lot of, um, out. luckily uh, the sun was out quite a bit in that March and April time. Uh, so we did spend a lot of time just outside in our garden uh, on the swings and came up with crazy things. And we had a little um, like dinner party in my office here in the garden. Um, uh, so we, we, we did um, balance the screen time and the off-screen time uh, during that time. Um, but nowadays as well, um, um, I think we have one hour of uh, tablet time uh, for my youngest who is six uh, every day. And that's just the parental controls in um, in Apple. 
which I think works really well because it's it's almost like the um, fact. So I don't have to enforce it. Uh, she accepts it. So it's just, oh, my time's up, done, iPad gone. Um, and then uh, the rest of the time, it's it's basically uh, not on the iPad and just playing uh, with uh, either friends or the cat or stuff like that. So I am aware of it. And um, we, we also have the, I mean, we've got uh, two game consoles, which we have downstairs because we always feel it's it's just like board games. It's something you do with each other and not, in the bedroom uh, on your own. Well, that's interesting because we just had the same dilemma. We we got um, some some game consoles in our house. One is handheld and one was for the TV. And we were worried about that. The kids were just going to sit. But actually, one of two things happens. Either we play Monopoly as a family on the screen, uh, which mm-hmm. again is involves discussion and will you sell me that and negotiation. And it's like, a, like you say, it's the board game, but on the screen. And that's fabulous. Or sometimes they just need some downtime and they zone out for a little while, but we're all in the same room together um, talking and every, yeah. now and the, every now and then the dog barks. So one of us has to go deal with it. But it, it my my fear around gaming has, has again, it's it's around the type of content. But I do hear horror stories of, of kids playing Fortnite who are way too young to, to be playing yeah. you know, these violent yeah. games that are that, that high resolution. I think this is exactly it. For me, screen time is not um, the same. Uh, so there is uh, like screen time where you just look at 20 second videos for an hour and basically waste your life. Or you can learn new stuff or play a cool game or whatever that's completely different. Or Duolingo to learn a language. I mean, sometimes the kids do need to just zone out for an hour because it was a hectic day, and 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 that's fine. But I uh, do see, um, I don't, we don't see the screen time as evil. Just are always uh, aware of what what's going on on the screen, like because I think playing a digital game together is fine. Uh, I don't see any issues with that. Just watching Netflix for five hours straight is probably not the best uh, time spent. <laughs> Well, no, no. Well, let me ask you a question. You're saying you, you gamify everything in your house around math and coding. So while you're out doing this, do you also do it with what goes on your screen? Is there a little, I'd love to hear what your hacks are. So whether they're out, out in the in the real world or in the house on screens, what are the hacks you use to try and educate your kids and spark an interest in math and coding uh, if you do it all? I don't, um, I don't use my uh, the screens to to do that, to be honest. It's more pointing out whenever um, something math or physics related uh, is on. It could be in a TV show, on a TV program, it could be outside somewhere. Sometimes it's just um, when you see on a uh, like massive container, it, it, uh, it says um, uh, diameter two meters or whatever. And you go like, hey, still remember how, how, how many liters could be in there? Um, and then we just calculate it and it goes like, wow, that's, that's like 20,000 liters in a truck. I mean, just simple things like that, just to keep keep it on top of your mind that it's all around you uh, constantly. And um, um, I think, especially the math, just give it a reason, uh, and people will learn it and keep using it. Well, let me take you to the other end of the spectrum. So obviously, that's what you do with your kids. But what are you seeing as a university teacher? What's either alarming you or not alarming you or or motivating you as you start to see an intake of 
kids entering university? What are you seeing in their learning patterns? What are you seeing in the way they've been set up in terms of what they learned before they arrived? Where are the gaps? Yeah. Where is the worry? So I'd love you to talk me through as your kids and my kids and kids of kids our age head towards that <laughs> stage in life. What what kind of advice do you have for getting them ready for for the later education? What I what I see is that um, there's a small percentage of kids or should I call them young adults who yes. who actually uh, know their way around math and physics and they're fine. Um, and then there's a large group who still think it's sort of sort of the I, I don't get it because it's it's math. <laughs> and I, I regularly have students who come uh, in my classes where I basically teach um, website coding and games and, and stuff like that. And I regularly have to explain how the sine, cosine and everything works to 20 plus year olds because it just they may have learned it years ago at high school, but it's it's now gone. And then when I start explaining uh, in a super simple way of how sine and cosine relate to the circle and the circumference and things like that, and how you can use that in a game to, well, make make movement or calculate distance with other formulas, um, then you see them, right, <laughs> I get it. And then it's 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 so fulfilling to teach uh, like 22-year-olds who, who, who just never got it. Uh, at high school and then showed him in five minutes and connected to some game coding and then it all starts to fall into place. I think that's great. And again, just connected to something they get, like being their world, they want to make a game. So to make a game, uh, to make Mario jump up and down, you need a bit of math. And to have him gone down, there's some physics because you need gravity and how does that work? And then after a morning of coding, you've you've already connected like lots of math and physics concepts that they were basically taught in high school and, and didn't make sense back then. Now it is something they actually actively want to do. And they've seen, I mean, everybody played Mario and then it all starts to make sense. And I think that's so cool to see. I'm just wondering if there's an opportunity in the sense that, uh, you know, it's good to know. I'm heartened by the fact that you're never too old to to learn some of these things. So if you missed it the first time, like I, I had a similar issue. I was really bad at fractions in high school. I just mm -hmm. couldn't get my head around them. But then I took up photography and uh, we're talking old school cameras where everything was manual. So the yeah. aperture was manual, the focus was manual, the lighting was, the um, shutter speed. So you had to work stuff out. And then it became a dawdle. And then when I got into flash photography, I had a big board, it was like a chart. Um, so you'd have to calculate how far someone was and then what setting to put the flash on to get the right exposure. And of course, all that's automated. And my son just grabs his phone and says, it's way better than your SLR will ever be. And I said, yeah, but I, I, that's what got me in over math. So now fractions are a dawdle for me. And by the way, now that I run my own businesses and now that I'm an entrepreneur and now that I do all these different things, that fast fractional thinking is, is very useful to me to make quick decisions. But my journey through high school is yeah. a rough one. And even in university, I had an astrophysicist teaching me math, and I couldn't get my head around it, and I failed the class. But then I met a tutor who walked me through and said, okay, now imagine a game, and now imagine you know, putting objects yeah. on an isometric plane. Now, what does isometric mean? Okay, great. So I know it sounds dumb, but I was failing not because I was stupid, but just because I couldn't grasp concepts in the way that they were being taught. So I guess I wonder if there's an opportunity, You know, basically what you were saying, what you were doing with your kids is anything they're struggling with in school or may not be interesting, you're kind of gamifying it outside of school. Are you using any particular 
apps or books or content? Are you just making it up as you go? If if we weren't, say, mathematically encoding inclined and gifted like you are, as parents, are there other tools that we can use or or, or sources of content that you can recommend? That's a that's a hard question because it's uh, because I'm my brain is wired to constantly see the things around me, uh, so that's why I don't really use uh, tools. <laughs> well, then 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 that's great. I'm just trying to you know trying to find a way for other listeners that might say, oh right, I'm not gifted in this way, but there might be a great book out there or a good like I tried to buy my kid puzzle books so that we could work stuff mm-hmm. out on paper together. One of them loves them, and one of them just goes, no, I'm going to do you, you you know no, it's too boring. I'm going to go on YouTube instead. Um, so I was just wondering if, if you've seen in your teaching, you, you're talking about the types of cohorts that come through at university and some have the knowledge and some don't, some you can level up yeah. very quickly. I just wondered if there was certain, you know, even at that level, things they, they did that, or books that they read or things that, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. But I, I thought I'd ask the question. Yeah, well, um, maybe not a direct answer to this question, but, um, uh, one of the courses I teach is, uh, on, on, it's more in how to be creative or, or how how to come up with game concepts. I basically <clears throat> have a thing where uh, I make them uh, stay in their seat, just have a look around. What objects do you have around you? Uh, like, for example, I've got a box here. Um, what, what kind of things does the box do? Is there something specific to this box that we can use? Um, so you start looking, like, how can we turn this into a game? Um, and I've got a example because uh, i started off with um uh, i was a speaker at a conference like flash on the beach uh, back in the, uh, brighton uh, and the conference organizer asked me like uh, we, we've got a, a speaker missing can you do 20 minutes about games tomorrow morning and i went back to my hotel room it's like okay 20 minutes about games what what shall i do and basically had a look around me in the hotel room and came up with 10 games uh, based on objects I could find around me in the hotel room. And that uh, hit the right note, I guess, because everybody was talking uh, to me afterwards. Uh, and then I did a similar presentation at school where I basically teach people, just look around you, feel objects. Uh, what, what what does it do? Like, is there something specific in there that you can use? And then that sort of sparks the creative process, um, that, which helps them to come up with uh, cool ideas for games or other things in life basically and that you can probably extend to um like coding um because i always get inspired um have a look around to see what's available and then what i usually do is um go out for a run or just just stare into the sea or whatever do something really boring and then stuff starts to fall into place and then you can be uh can then you can apply the ideas that you came up with have you taught any of these processes to your children in the sense of if they get frustrated or they're sort of in a cycle, do you try to get them out, try to rip them away from a screen? Do you give them a screen? Or did you have a similar process that you try to teach your kids so that they can achieve that, uh, what you've achieved? What I learned quite early is that this this is my process. This works for me. And then especially both my daughters are very different in that the way they approach things. But it's the oldest one. You, you can never quite tell if she's doing something or not uh, there's processes going on in her head and the way she connects the dots amazes me again how she comes up with ideas or or how she's creative or how she solves math uh homework so i always have to be careful to not force 
my way of thinking <laughs> onto them because it, it, if you really look at how they do things it inspires you as well which i think is fantastic that's good, that's good advice let them teach you a little as well yeah and they, they feel super happy when they um <laughs> it was funny because i was helping her with her uh, math uh, tests and practicing for it and basically came up with uh like a math test myself that she had to do and then presented back to me and I was going, oh, this is probably not right. They said, no, 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 it is right. Yes, you are right. You just did it in a different way. <laughs> and it's it's so cool to see uh, her connecting the dots in a different way. That's uh, I love it. love seeing that. But it sort of comes full circle to your quotation about two plus two minus one. And yeah, as you say, there's just so many different ways to approach a, a problem and it's not always linear, is it? Oh, uh, definitely. Um, Definitely. <laughs> I sometimes see the way um, I code things because I've never done like uh, the proper coding course. Uh, uh, so I always see it a bit more like sculpting. So I add a bit of this, add a bit of that, take some away. And, and then that's why my websites and games are always uh, fun and vibrant and interactive because it's not about making it, just making it work. It's, it's about making work is one bit. Then you start. That, that, that's the point where I start, where where stuff needs to feel alive. And maybe sometimes the animation is not quite right. You add a bit, remove a bit. And so it almost feels like sculpting with code. Um, that's what I do. And are you worried at all that any of your sculpting is going to get taken away by AI? Do you think their machine can do it better than you or better than your kids as they grow up? Do you have that worry? I think you just got to keep an eye on what's out there, keep moving. Uh, because uh, I can do the work I do now, which is basically just building all the cool stuff because all the boring stuff is already taken care of. That That's my way of looking at it. Um, I, I'm, I'm really happy you got easy stuff like, um, uh, uh, what's it, WordPress or, or Squarespace where anyone who wants a website can press a button has a website. So I don't have to worry about that anymore. I can just build the, the cool things. <laughs> But the interaction, the stickiness, the virality. Good. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the Spark the Spark Up podcast today. Any any final conclusions or any advice to parents who are worried about the things I worry about? Or are you just going to say teach them math and teach them coding at any cost? Well, I think math and, and coding is just as important as breathing. I think it, it has to be part of your life. And it is part of your life. You shouldn't be scared of it. Like uh, two plus two is four. That's math. Uh, it can be as simple as that, uh, but it can be super complicated. And then if you're looking in that area, definitely check out Marcus Dussatoy, which is a great uh, British uh, mathematician who writes fantastic books about the like far end of the spectrum. Yeah, you have to you have to make uh, math part of your life in in a, in a fun way. And then you still and that's that's if you make it fun for kids, they will remember it very late on in their lives because I still remember. One of my physics teachers at um, at high school, I uh, must have been like 15 or 16, he had all, always had these funny test assignments. For example, um, physics assignment, this was actually on my test. And he said, uh, well, dad wasn't paying attention in the park with his kid uh, who was in a stroller next to him. There was an incline of 5% of the hill. The kid started rolling away. Dad recognized this after two seconds. The distance to the lake is this and that. Uh, did he make it in time? <laughs> 
this this would normally never be on a on a on a physics exam, but it was, and that's the stuff I remember. Well, clearly, it set you up for everything that happened after, didn't it? Yeah. So those those, <laughs> those were your those were your sparks, and that that's the type of stuff I'm looking for, which is as you say, how do you gamify things? And I do I do I'm quite op, I'm quite positive about the future. So to circle back to my friend who's worried about his office space being optimized, my answer to him was, well, maybe you don't need to work in an office anymore. Um, but not everyone's mm. wired to to think the way we do or think the way that that you know there's opportunity in all of this. There's there's worry, but I think that's happened every generation, um, and it's going to continue to happen. But as long as you teach your kids to to spark their minds and sort of try to gamify everything, I think as you say that they'll be talking as adults one day saying, "Oh, my dad taught me this funny joke," and one day he took. <laughs> He took a box and talked about it for 20 minutes. Something about the beach. I can't quite remember. But anyway, he taught me a game with a box <laughs> for 20 minutes. So it all sort of pays dividends in that way. But very, very insightful conversation, Yop. And I really appreciate you coming on, uh, talking about all the, all the things you're up to and the ways that you try to educate your kids outside the classroom and prepare them for the future. So th thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can dive into a lot more on thesparkhub.com.